Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Zero to Hear podcast. I am your host, Denny Dumas. Tonight on the show, Samantha Clark. This is probably one of the more interesting beginning stories I've heard. She grew up, well, she was living by herself when she was 12, uh, battled some drug and alcohol addictions, uh, pulled through it all, which is pretty cool and inspirational, uh, now runs a business. She's an actress. She is a yoga teacher. She's a life coach. She's a personal trainer. I don't know how she has time for all of these things. She just moved uh, to BC about six months ago and has put her business on hold temporarily, but has a phenomenal message and a wicked business plan that she is uh, trying to pursue. Have a listen and let me know what you think. Sammy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, opening up your home to us. You're welcome. Uh, this is our first podcast in a condo. Can you believe it? Um, no. Where else <laughs> have they been? We have a studio in New York. So oh, yeah. I don't come there. to you. I was too lazy. That's you okay. came to me. Thanks. You need to broaden your horizons. You've only been in Vancouver for seven months. Yes, but I was in seven countries before that. So <laughs> I feel like I'm... Like my traveling is done for the <laughs> yeah. meantime. I like it. Yeah. Uh, in the last 15 minutes, we've kind of chatted a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. different things. So where I was thinking of taking this conversation, maybe we'll start somewhere different. Okay. So I want to talk to you about, um, I guess just like, first of all, why you came to Vancouver Yeah. seven months ago and mm-hmm. what your first impression of Greater Vancouver <laughs> is like. He's laughing because he knows my first impression <laughs> of Vancouver. <laughs> um. So I actually moved I want to explore that, though, because I think a lot of people have the same feeling when they come to Vancouver. So I want to understand why and how we as Greater Vancouverites can improve. Yeah. Um, So I moved here for acting. I was an actor in Australia as as well as an athlete and obviously I had my own business. Um, And I just felt that there was a ceiling on what I could achieve as an actor. And whilst things were going quite well for me day to day and in my business, it um, was... I hit a roof and I felt like I've got a propensity for growth and that's just my nature and mm-hmm. it was just getting too comfortable and it wasn't that I wanted to punish myself. It wasn't that I wanted to start again. I knew I had to know what it felt like to really go for the loftiest dream, which was to move international and start at the beginning again, even have to learn a new accent to become an actor um, in an international industry. And so I just think I would always regret it if I didn't actually give it a go. And so I um, packed up in Australia and traveled with my business almost for about a year. And then I moved here seven months ago to Vancouver. And uh, Why did you decide Vancouver? So the visa is actually really good for Australians. You'll know that if you ever go to Whistler, you'll oh, see a lot of Australians. Very it's, aware. Yeah. So I think it was $200 for me to get a two-year visa and it was just, like that. I was in Bali and I sent a selfie into the Canadian government and that was my visa application. So it was very easy. <laughs> Actually, a really awful selfie. And I remember thinking this isn't going to pass. <laughs> Had like a brown curtain. Anyway, <laughs> that, that was a true story. Um, and so I know they're filming a lot here. Like Netflix has just built a new studio for Altered Carbon and they've got oh, to create okay. more shows after that. And anyone that's not like name, name actors, they're more likely to get work here. And because I've done work in Australia, but not internationally, this was just the more viable option. And then also intuition, like just the way a couple of things set up. Someone asked me 
said I should come here. And is it Canada yeah. specific or is it Vancouver specific? Vancouver okay. and Toronto, okay. I think. But Vancouver, they call it. I mean, Hollywood North because they're yeah. just making so much, and it's one of the only places I think they've got more um, things being filmed, and then they do actors. And in Australia, there's so many great, great talent actors, directors, writers, but they're just not producing anything. And so I just I couldn't sit with the un, with the not knowing. I know there's a lot of big actors and actresses that are up here all the time to yeah. film specific scenes of different stuff. Because it's time. so cheap for the US totally. to film here. Totally. Yeah. What was the acting career like in Australia? Um, you were talking a lot. I guess the big thing over there is reality right now. Right now it is. Yeah. So they used to make a lot of shows in Australia. And as of a few years ago, not even two years ago, they just cut everything. And so there's two main shows in Australia, Home and Away and Neighbours. Home and Away Sydney Neighbours was um, Melbourne. And I did Home and Away. It's like the bold and the beautiful of Australia. And then when my character got written off, they're just not making anything else. Like they really aren't what they used to have. It's like I can think top the top of my head, 10 shows that were ongoing. None of them are being made anymore so there's just these eight episode biops so you think of every actor in australia wanting to be in this eight episode biop and it's just not going to happen and so even like some of the great cinematographers in australia have moved to london and done campaigns around it because it's just such a dying industry and it's heartbreaking because in terms of education they create some pretty amazing writers directors actors yeah so everyone's moving away i'm always curious how people get ridden off of shows how did they write I, you? <laughs> so I, well, I just didn't come Especially back. Especially in I soap was, operas, was they're always almost, so dramatic. Yeah, the I was they... about to have a sex scene. And then the guy, can I say, yeah, I can say it on here. And 100%. then the guy changed his mind, my, um, the guy that I was with. And he's like, the last, my last words on Home and Away. He's like, I can't do this. He's like, yes. And I said, yes, you can. He goes, no, I can't. And then that was the end of it. That was just, they just write you off. Because so, they're making another episode every single day. And then, yeah. And that was the end. My last words were, yes, you can. And he said, no, I can't. And then left me. <laughs> that was it. Thought I'd come back because I wasn't dead, but I never did. Yeah. First impressions of Vancouver. Um, Be honest. Oh, I will. I believe in radical it. honesty. We can do a whole podcast on my belief in radical honesty. <laughs> um, I, my first impression my first first impression was that people are really polite and that I really liked it. And people told me that it was quite clicky, clicky and I never understood that. Being here six months, my observations and my theories around it, and I think people are very polite, but I don't know if they've been taught or chosen to value depth and authenticity. And I find this politeness is just comes across like a, a barrier or a bridge to me. Like I think I was telling you before we started, I'm very playful and very open-hearted. And there's been a few circumstances, whether it's making a joke to the person at Starbucks or on a date, for example, and they've just taken my humor the wrong way. And it took me a few weeks and it was really starting. I remember thinking I've just got to close my heart in this city because people aren't playful. They don't get it and I'm not being received well. And when I moved into... Um, house and kits I lived with an Irish girl and I just made a silly little off the hand comment and I can't remember what it was and she just burst out laughing and that's when I was like it's not me it's Vancouver because she's <laughs> Irish and she got my humor um, so I just I 
I don't know, like different cultures. I, I really appreciate and I love warmth. And I think when you're in, you know, winter and you're in a colder city, maybe your personality adapts, you know, but I just, I haven't found um, many open hearts and I haven't found this craving for depth. I've found this um, desire to be polite and conservative. And that's just, it's a shock to my system. <laughs> do you know, like, do you have any ideas why that is? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I've got complete theory based on nothing but i think because it's a younger city right it doesn't have years and years and eons of culture and so it's so multicultural people come here and what you base it on a very young development of community and so the collective conscious isn't developed it's not you know been years of spirituality and these are the teachings like you go to india and it's been grained from your grandparents 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 teach compassion and unity and you come to vancouver and everyone's from everywhere it's not an evolved culture and i don't mean that as a negative i mean it hasn't had time to evolve and so when you come here it doesn't necessarily breed evolution in you and so things can remain quite superficial does that make sense? Yeah, because that's what, that, no, 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 because that, that's exactly where my next comment was going to be. Was right. superficial. Do you think it's a level of vanity? I think people are scared, and I think this all over the world. I, I think vanity. When you don't have anything else to look at, that's what you look at, right? The superficial. I mean, that's when you look at somebody's body. That's all you can see. When you're not willing or able, or you're not being taught, or you've not been condoned to look at somebody's soul. Mm-hmm. Who teaches you that? Like you've got to either have this innate propensity for growth. You've got to go for self-development and read it in books and pick up the right books. You've got to choose to watch the right channels and watch the right documentaries. And that's going to be off your own back because there's way easier shit to watch. Can I swear? Am I like, yeah, good, just checking. Just <laughs> oh, shit, we got to start over, <laughs> so, Carl. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I'm Australian, so there'll be F-bombs coming soon. Um, and I think that's it's easier to just look at the superficial. And then what we do is we chastise people for it. But really it's just, it's scary. It's scary to go deep. And that's why people are terrified of vulnerability. So that's why Tinder and Bumble and all these things are such a success because you can move on to something or someone that'll allow you to feel safer. We're craving safety and we're manifesting in a way that actually stops us from growing, I think. Yeah, I look at Greater Vancouver in a similar light, I think, even though I grew up here is a lot of people and it's, I don't think it stops at like how they, their appearance, how they look. Mm. I think it's how people perceive them, their personality, their sense of humor, all of that. Mm. So I think people are just afraid to say the wrong thing in Vancouver or react the wrong way because people will judge them. Yeah. And I've heard that a lot, actually. I remember when I first moved here, there was a friend of mine, he said, you know, don't be afraid to be who you are here. I was like, well, I never have been. I never will be. And I think I've heard that and seen that all around the world. And I think that's one of my greatest um, like strengths. I'm obviously very careful that I don't offend anyone, but I've never, ever cared to the point where I would cater my words or cater my behaviors, except mm. for not wanting to hurt someone or offend someone sure. or cross boundaries. And I think my reasoning for that is, without going too deep, but I, I grew up with people not expecting anything of me. So because I had no expectations put on me, I never felt like I had to be a doctor or a lawyer or a professional or this or that. I just got to grow up going, well, who do I want to be? And I'm so grateful that that stayed with me because I see so many great people very cautious of their next word, very cautious of the next action. And that's a waste of time because they're in their head. 
Like no wonder people aren't tapping into their hearts. They're consciously momentarily thinking, can I do this? Should I not? How is it going to affect everything? That's exhausting. And you limit your ability to be free completely. So I wonder if it's an educational thing in Vancouver. I don't know. What was school like in Vancouver? Did the teachers tell you to be very polite? I, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I like, I categorize it as we're a very insecure city. Right. I so you see of, that here as well? 100%. I think a lot of people are just so consumed in how they're perceived by other people that they can't get out of their own head, like you said. It's heartbreaking. Where does it come from? Where does insecurity come from? Um, what is that built well, the on? ego, right? Has to be. And so the ego is created about two years old. So when you talk about the terrible twos, that's when the kid's like, this is mine, this is yours. It's like we have to find our identity. And until we find our identity in the world, until we kind of create an identity, we're always going to be searching for it. And then only then can you release it. And so people just haven't um, realized that they're living out of their ego. I think that's just from my kind of understanding. Isn't ego internal thing though? Like what, what I see is, again, I categorize it as insecurity. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but that's what I use. It's, uh, it's more like they're so worried about what other people think of them. That's ego for sure. Because your ego is your sense of identity in the world. And if you care what someone thinks of you, that is either affirming or belittling your identity in the world. And so those Mm. who truly are at peace with who they are, they speak their truth more. They'll be forthcoming in what they're really feeling. They'll cry in front of people. If they cater or tailor down any of that, it has to become from their ego because they're wanting to form their sense of identity in the world based on the external world. So I think ego's got a bad rap, but it's just your identity in the world. It's mm-hmm. your, your this is me, that's that. It's your false illusion of separation. This is me, that's you. And so if you don't like me, or if I say this, you won't like me. If I do that, you will like me, or I'm in that category because I'm that. It's all ego. How can people overcome that? Well, meditation, we spoke of that briefly. How's your meditation history gone? <laughs> Let's Never. move on, <laughs> <laughs> Um... I think obviously meditation is one, but I think um, witnessing it and the ego is so sneaky because once you think you're starting to look at it or come through the back door, because we often believe that we are our thoughts. We think something about someone, so they must be that. We think we're this, so we must be that. But it takes a level of space between the thoughts to realize that your perception isn't your truth. And that's exhausting in the beginning. It's like new neural pathways. Like your brain is going, let's say, for example, left every day, left, 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 left. And you're trying to teach it to go right. It's going to want to turn left. And so you've got to recreate the neural pathways in your brain. It's exhausting and it's hard work. And unless you really just want to be a better person or grow for intrinsic desire and for not for external gain, you're going to go left. That, <laughs> I, yeah, good point. Okay, great. I was like, he's silent because I've confused him where he's taking that and You can sit with that. We can edit the podcast. We can a just be silent both, for a couple actually. of minutes. A little bit confused, but I'm also trying to understand. Um, <laughs> what do you, you can tell me, what are you confused about? I, I think about this all the time in terms of like, because I learned pretty early on and I think it was through sport right. that, Worrying about what other people think of me gets me nowhere. Right. So like if a coach says something that I'm not doing this correctly, 
I have to actually pull myself out of a situation and see what is that guy's agenda kind of thing. Yeah. Is he really trying to help me improve or is he just trying to get the next promotion type mm-hmm. of thing? Whatever it may be. Um, so I learned it pretty early on, but I see it so often. Yeah. Just like in friend groups or in the business world. Like I see realtors come into open houses that have no fucking idea what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And they just like have, they talk with great confidence, but they're just spewing incorrect information. Yeah. And I think it's literally just to try to get the client to see that they're confident. I don't, like, it just doesn't make any sense rather than I go the other way and say, oh, that's actually a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to find out and let you know tonight. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's extremely crippling to focus on what other people think of you. Mm-hmm. And it's a consistent downward spiral, and I've just seen it so many times, but I don't know how to help people get out of that. And so, like, literally part of the reason for the podcast is to talk to other people that are not insecure, are doing their Mm. own thing, are super motivated on personal growth like yourself, Mm -hmm. and talk about, like, what goes through your head to push you out of those negative, insecure thoughts. So for me, and I think I touched on it, like I was blessed with an upbringing where no one thought I was going to amount to anything. So Mm. the pressure was already taken off. And so I had a lot of freedom. I mean, we could color it with, you know, a rough childhood or whatever, but at the end of the day, I had no expectations on me. And so that was beneficial to how easy it was for me to just be who I am. And that's manifested as an adult as well. And then through that, I've seen it serve me. I've seen the freedom that comes and it's very time efficient. And I think the more you act in a particular way, like full truthful expression, say exactly how I feel, tell someone where I feel vulnerable, say when I'm into them, say when I'm not, I've never had it turn around and not be time efficient for me. I've Mm. never had it turn around and throw back in my face unless, and this is actually quite true, unless you're dealing with a clinical narcissist or a sociopath. Because but then that's true. Like I've dealt with both of those. Um, hi, mom. <laughs> but unless unless you're dealing with someone that just has a complete skew on reality and won't be able to absorb information like a rational human in business and relationship, I've never seen it work against me. And so I think when you get enough of those, it starts being a very easy reward. And so the first time is the hardest. The first time when you get that anxiety or you watch yourself let's say that realtor, you know, knowing that he's fabricating the truth or knowing that he's really uncomfortable saying this is I actually don't know. It's the first one that's the hardest because all this anxiety comes up, all mm. this unconscious programming. And so the very, and, you know, obviously meditation, but the very first thing you can do is notice that that's what you're thinking. You go home at night and you go, do you know what? I actually fabricated that. That's not truthful. You don't have to do anything with it. You name it. And then later, a week later, you name it again to yourself and you just start this curious honest reflection because most of the time we chastise ourselves when we make a mistake or when we lied and we don't want to look at it it's too ugly so we just pretend we didn't and it's this really like beautiful nurturing conscious reflection and unfortunately for a lot of men as well even the word nurturing even the word conscious is like repelled against because like a man should be a man and we just move on and that's a really mistruth and it makes it harder for a lot of men so I can have compassion as to why a lot of people in, you know, high up fields and working males are insecure and will never be able to deal with them because the first step is the hardest, which is looking at the fact that you're not completely honest with yourself. That's hard. The more you do it, the easier it gets. It's the first. It's the very first because it's subtle. 
You could say the same about the other <clears throat> about the other side too though. The more you lie, the more that you get through situations on those um false comments or whatever the situation is, the easier it gets to con- to compound, right? But I wonder if it's easier to sleep at night. That's what mm. I always think. Like, no matter what, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm sure I've hurt a lot of people. I've made a lot of wrong choices, like, for sure. But one thing I know, and, like, it gets me emotional when I think of it because I have so much truth when I say it, is when I go to bed at night, no matter how lonely I am, no matter what I haven't achieved, or I know my intentions were pure. And I just feel for those who can't say that. I feel for those who go to bed at night and go... I actually just wanted to take today or actually just wanted to make that person feel bad. And like that can't last. If you're looking at yourself or have a moment to feel where you're not in your head and you're not analyzing and it just sometimes the body, it just comes up. That's, that's got to be hard. And I don't know how anyone sleeps well with that running in them. Do you think they have those conscious thoughts though? Or do you think that it's just such a level of entitlement that they just, they actually think they're owed whatever it is they're doing? Well, entitlement's kind of a byproduct, right? Like the privileged don't know the privileged. And one thing I always kind of say when I teach whatever is, you know, those who are hurt, hurt others. And those who are healed, healed others. It's just how it is. And so a lot of these people are in immense pain, right? And so... I don't know if necessarily it's conscious thoughts, but I know the physical body, without sounding too hippie, but the physical body will give you messages when you've got back pain, you know, when you've got hip pain, when all this stuff, you start holding, you know, hunching yourself over and you start coughing and all this stuff is your body is ill because you're not operating at a high vibration. You're not like bringing love into your heart. You're not being a good human. Like we are holistic beings and you can shun it but science is catching up to that and it shows you see someone who's nasty you see someone who's had a stressful week even and it shows on their body you see someone making very um selfish behaviors again and again and again and they're taking again and again and again and they're lying again and again and again whether it's conscious or not that will eat away the cells of the body because they will be under stress because they know they're not living in the highest truth and they don't need to know it consciously because somewhere in them on a visceral level they can feel it Hmm. i believe how do you think carl looks (laughs) do you think he looks like he's at a stress he looks like he's worried about audio (laughs) (laughs) am i how am i going am i too close too far okay I'm perfect, just for the record. <laughs> Carl, Carl loves audio. People know that. And that's so funny. <laughs> so Vancouver, uh, permanent residency takes about a year and a half, you said? It, you need, to, for me, because I don't have a high school education, I need to be working in a job for 12 months for full-time hours. So I basically put my business on hold, my life on hold, so I could um, get that permanent residency. And then I'm going to continue Slice the Pie, which is my business. And um live here and base myself here so I can pursue acting, but also do the stuff that was making my heart happy with my business. Did you not finish high school? No, I didn't really go to high school. I I don't know what year it is here. So year eight in Australia is the first year of high school. Mm -hmm. Is that the same here? Yeah. So I probably did one week of year nine. So I, I got through year eight just, and then maybe did a couple of weeks year nine just. I don't know how it did, to be honest. He, he's look just you guys can't see but he's looking at me going should i ask more should i leave it i don't know oh i'm definitely asking <laughs> you are, more. okay just checking <laughs> but i'm waiting for the right time to give you a high five because i fucking love that cool thanks i think too. education is so overrated Energetic. the way that it's done right now it really is and oh, that's why i see 
my childhood as an asset because whilst other people were learning geography and math and history, I was learning human behavior and I was watching um, the way people would dialogue to each other and how they would react to other people's words and how they'd absorb information. So all this time I could have been learning about countries that I still don't know where they are on the map, but I've been to a lot of them. I just, the plane takes me there. I don't need to know where it is on a map, right? Yeah. And I've learned about humans and that, Whilst there's a lot of hurt that comes with, you know, not having the education, not having the same opportunities, not X, Y, Z, the flip of that is I'm so grateful that I kind of educated myself and I really believe in the words that I speak. Like I'm open to changing, but I have conviction in who I am and I don't know if I would have had as much as if I went to high school and then university because I would have been told what I should be and how I should learn and what I should think. And I love that that didn't happen. I didn't always, but I do now. I really do. What happened after the first year of grade nine? <laughs> um, so I actually... And then what was the next few years of your life like, oh, I guess? But you wouldn't... You guys wouldn't... They've only met me not too long ago, but if you'd met younger Sammy, you wouldn't even believe I was the same person. I still sometimes go, how did that happen? Um, so I grew up on the street. So I actually left home at 12 years old. Yeah, I had quite an abusive upbringing, um, which, you know, other people do as well. So it is what it was. But it got to the point where the little inner warrior in me was like, it is safer for me to live on the streets than it is to live in this environment. And side note, like I physically would have survived, but it was more like emotional. Like just as a child, you just want to belong. And even though I would have survived physically for sure, emotionally, spiritually, I would have been dead. Like there, there was just nothing left in terms of love and all of that. And so I actually went and lived on the streets and not by any societal norms were they um, healthy, happy people, but they accepted me and I felt belonging for the first time in my life. Um, In a way, like I knew society didn't condone my choices, but um, and so I found it very hard to stay at school because I didn't have a home. And so I left school and then it just, you got carried away with drugs, addiction, alcohol, all the other things that you need to do to survive and just didn't become a priority. My brain was still forming. I was 12, right? Like I didn't know what was, I didn't know, consequence. I couldn't imagine, like I couldn't imagine because I, I grew up in like a very middle-class family, so we didn't have a, a lot. We didn't vacation, but my parents had six kids, so they kind of did that to oh, themselves. Wow. Yeah, but like my parents were together, they were super supportive all the way through, and my every single one of my siblings played university athletics, which is pretty cool. So like we were playing sports all the way through. So it costs a lot of money with six children, which is insane to think about it in today's terms. Yeah, but I can't even think about that. I like I can't even process. I can't comprehend moving out when you're twelve. Mm. It must be insane. I think children are very resilient. Like at the time it just was what it was. And it was only as an adult when I had time to reflect and I was in like survival mode wasn't a thing anymore and I was actually like had room to breathe. That's when the issues came up. Like I looked back and was there was pain and there was hurt and there was resentment and all that stuff. Like it just it took a good few years. Um I'm still I'm definitely still working through it, right? Like it's there's something Unless you don't have family, like unless you weren't loved as a child and like just, just you weren't, 
you'll never know um, that loneliness. You'll never know what it's like to walk through the earth just not having anyone to call. Like you make friends, obviously, but the, or even that, there's so many intimacy issues. Like I would never really let people close and I would complain about it, but then I'd look back and it was actually me that was pushing them away. Like you just don't know how to form relationships. You don't know how to trust. And unless you've been through that, you you never really know what that feels like. We say that about anything, right? But there's, there's a particular sense of, it's very easy for me to play victim. I've got to be very, very conscious that I don't walk around being like, poor me, why don't I have a mom? Like, I'm pretty sure I said that the other month, right? Like, I just had a mom or dad to call. Like, it's so easy to fall back into that because as a child, you're meant to have love and nurturing. And when you don't, it depletes you of something that as an adult, I now crave it way much more and I value it a lot more, but I'm still learning how to even accept it because it was just something I never learned. So it's definitely played a role in what I value. And that's why I give so much, truly. Like that is why I'm so driven to like even with slice of the pie, I could have had a much more selfish business plan, like for sure. I could have made a lot more money. I could have done, but I just, it didn't feel right. I wanted to give because I think even in one of my interviews that's on my webpage is like I can never take away the pain of my childhood and I can't take away other people's pain, but I can remind them that they're not alone in their pain and I can show them the world as a whole and to encourage them to take a slice of the pie but to give back in the process. And that's how I, the whole idea morphed into whatever it was is just on hold. Just in the very little research I did on you and the company, it's super impressive what you're doing and knowing your story now, it's even more impressive Thanks. that you've turned that into such a positive outcome. Yeah. Was there a point, like you said, I can see how you can use an experience like that one way and say the world is against me mm. and go that route. Was there a point where you kind of pushed that, those thoughts away? Um, I still try to. Like they still come up for sure. Like even at the moment, I'm moved here for acting and I'm pretty sure I sent a text today to my friend Louis just saying, I wish I had more support. Like I'm one girl and I'm trying to, you know, tackle an industry that's notorious for not being kind and I'm trying to learn a new accent and I don't know anyone in Vancouver and I'm trying to be positive and work on my business. And like I always have this thought that comes up. It's like, I wish I had support, but that doesn't support me because it's basically saying I wish it was different, but it's not. Like, it's not different. So I've just got to know that I'm playing victim in that moment and be okay with it and go, well, do you want to, like, sit in this or do you just want to move away from it, Sammy? How long do you want to dwell in this for right now? So, yeah, those thoughts still come up and particularly – I'm an extrovert. I don't know if you noticed, but I love to chat. (laughs) (laughs) So it's particularly in isolation in a new city when I don't know. It's, they're pretty prevalent. Is that the way you get through it? Like a conscious thought saying, how long do you want to sit in this? Let's move on. Um, yeah. Because I feel like every, regardless of how outgoing optimistic you are, you're going to have those negative thoughts come into your head based on experience past whatever it is. But something that I think I'm slightly abnormal on is how quickly I can snap out of them. Mm. So I'm always curious and asking people how do they have things that they, that trigger in their head that switches it into a positive outcome or saying like, let's look at it this way instead. Yeah. So (laughs) it might sound morbid, but it's very helpful if you just stick with me. Um, (laughs) I, I become really aware of my own mortality. 
So I just remind myself that I'm going to die. I think even before we were on the podcast in the kitchen, I was like, we're like all going to die though. one day. I like that. And But it's, it's so awakening. If you sit with that, if you sit with the fact that you are going to be like irreversibly dead pretty soon, <laughs> your problems aren't that big. And you can go, well, do I want to be a victim right now? Do I want to keep crying over the fact that it's hard to be an actor? You know, like, or do you want to find joy and go out and just be okay with where you are? Because it's hard because human nature is designed for more and the media has absolutely destroyed most of us because we look up to Beyonce and think we should all have a billion dollars at 25 years old, you know, like those girls are doing and they should be stunning and this, that and the other. And it's just we're surrounded by very, very unhealthy, almost unattainable, but certainly unhealthy ideals. And when you remember that they're all going to be dead and you're going to be dead and it's not too far away, you start to just like want to turn to the person next to you and ask how their day is and bond with what's really here, which is what's in front of you, not the money you want to make next week or the career you might not have and that causes you anxiety. It's, that's not real. What's real is the human that's in front of you or the moment that's the sun's setting. Mm-hmm. I recently got into hiking mm-hmm. and that's where I feel those feelings is like sitting at the top of a mountain by myself mm. and just understanding how small I am in terms of BC, which is so small in comparison to the rest of the world yeah and it's like a weird thought that may come across negative but for me it makes me very optimistic it's just like how insignificant i am yeah and how insignificant my problems are and what i'm upset about that day in comparison to looking at this whole city as a whole yeah and it's interesting the wording that you used first off was like your feeling. Like mm-hmm. when you're out there, you feel it. And that's the thing. Our brain wants to give us significance. Our ego wants to give us, we mm-hmm. are great. We're going to do this. We're going to leave a legacy. But when you get out in nature, which is very giving and very grounding, you don't think as much you feel. And that feeling becomes quite overwhelming that it calms your brain. And then you remember the truth is that you are completely insignificant, but also immensely significant when you look at the fact that we're all connected and i know that sounds esoteric but like in terms of like the quantum physics and quantum field we're just all connected like you can science that up if you don't believe me it's fact come back to me write me a letter if you're upset about it but it's true and so when you get into your body and when you start attaching or connecting to your life force not your life situation so not your bills not your girlfriend not your this not your that but just life running through you you're just at peace and so there's nature and all these things that are very very simple which we've shunned because we prioritized fame money success achievement cars it's none of that's actually what's going to give us peace that's media that's a consumerism society that has known how to program into our subconscious our insecurities and sold us based on fear and gone buy more because you know you're not enough. That's all advertising is and we haven't really caught on to it. You go out in the trees and the rivers, you know you're enough and you know it doesn't matter if you have more or anything because you're at peace. How do people get over those thoughts, though? How do people get over looking at themselves and saying... Just stop watching news, stop watching advertising. That's the first one. Start listening to podcasts, maybe. Start listening to podcasts, 100%. Yeah, listen, tune into people that inspire you. Like, get off, delete anyone on Instagram that makes you feel shit. Um, That's a good point, actually. Yeah, because it's funny. There was a couple on Instagram, they're doing amazing stuff, and they started making me feel really crap because they were traveling more than me, couple the pictures were better you know all this stuff and in i actually Vancouver? 
No. Okay, because there's a couple in Vancouver that I follow that yeah. makes me feel like that a bit because they're they get paid to travel because they have like I don't know three or four hundred thousand followers. Yeah. And they're away all the time. Yeah. And, and I know, just like their cool photos of landscape and stuff and say, oh, maybe one day I want to go there. Yeah. But it does make you feel like that. It does. Yeah. And that's, so it's interesting. I say, you know, delete people on Instagram that make you feel like crap, but then that's your own insecurity. So it could be helpful to address it. But in that moment when you're scrolling through Instagram, that's not the time to deal with that. So really just for now, like get rid of them. And then it's, we, our attention is so pulled in so many directions and it's toxic and we're operating at such a low vibration that we're just constantly in stress mode. When you're pulled to an Instagram picture or Facebook or an advert, you don't know, you really don't know unless you look into it, how much it's affecting your subconscious and it's worse than it affecting our conscious because we're very consciously aware of stuff, but our subconscious, we're seeing every day their life's better than ours. That's what I need to buy. I don't have that. I don't have that. You're not going, I don't, maybe you are, but you're not going and looking what's going on in Syria. You're not going and looking at people getting the legs blown off every day because it, mm. it's not nice and pretty. So it doesn't get shown on the media unless you go actively looking for it or it's some trauma to try and get a shock. So we have segregation and hate a particular culture. But when you do, you're going to then start to feel grateful. So you've got to go out of your way and go, this is what I want to learn. This is who I want to be like. This is what inspires me. And these are the things that are going to remind me of what I do have because we're obsessed with what we don't have. And that's human nature. That was our survival mechanism. Want more, save more, do more. It, it's not now it's stopping us from thriving because we're in survival. We've got everything we need. We've got food, shelter, water, and then we're stuck because it's now time to spiritually evolve. But what we're actually doing is regressing because we're overstimulated and we don't know what to do with it and our brain is overworked and we have limited access into our heart because society has told us that your head is the most powerful and valuable thing and we should all think with the heads, we should all analyze, don't ever worry about emotions, don't worry about feeling, intuition's garbage and that is absolute garbage and it's all starting to turn around and people are really starting to either crave growth and knowing themselves, crave meditation, isolation or get ill being constantly distracted, constantly in pain and not knowing why. One thing you said, well, you said a lot of very good yeah, things. So you're going to pull me in and stop. I just keep going and going. You're no, going to tell me to stop. That was amazing. <laughs> um, just so putting things in perspective, right? Mm -hmm. That's something I talk about all the time and makes a big difference in terms of the way I think about my situation or my life. And it's understanding that how grateful our situation is even if you're like lower middle class in canada you're in the top one percent in the world maybe top 0.5 percent in the world yeah yeah but you're living in your little bubble and you're thinking about your buddy tommy whose parents drive bmws and is a partner in a law firm and make eight hundred thousand dollars a year right yeah and i've caught myself doing it too here i see people you know where I work now and people are buying them like like Porsches because and I'm just like whoa like there's so much that the lower person in me the basic desire the primal needs for safety and they go oh, I want that and it really can make me feel quite crappy because it's the environment that I'm in it's there's very much financial abundance in Vancouver and money is quite a, a popular um thing to observe from what I've noticed right like it's pretty high up on most people's priority list whether they talk about having it or not having it it's just it's what people seem to prioritize here um and so that You've really got, and this again is where meditation comes in, you've really got to go inward 
and watch your thoughts because anything that you can't control is an addiction. So if you don't, if you don't know that you're obsessively thinking about that guy or that Porsche or what you don't have, you're addicted to your negative emotions. You're addicted to your past. You're addicted to your belief system and you don't have any support in moving away from it. That's awful. And I am like, for sure, I'm addicted to it, but I'm aware of it enough. And I've got a couple little tools, but it's, I don't think people realize that they're not their thoughts. And until you have the strength to take time away from your thoughts and create space between them, you're going to be driven by a really deep unconscious programming. And it's going to cause you pain for the rest of your life. And in a selfish pursuit, it's actually so Newtonian law is basically you change your environment, you change your internal world. Quantum law is you change your internal world, you change your environment. So, the, you know, you talk about the secret and gratitude and all that stuff. It's not, I mean, the secret's a bit, whatever. But the raising the vibrations in your body, it's not nonsense. It's actually allowing you to pay attention to what's going on in your external world that is good, that will bring you those things that you want. So when we're constantly complaining about what we don't want, that is what we will see. That is for sure what we'll see. And if we don't take time to meditate or do whatever it is you need to do to create a couple of minutes of hold on, who do I want to be and how do I want to be today and what do I actually want to draw into my life, you will always see what you don't want because you're addicted to your negative emotions. So you have to create a little bit of time going, this is possible. Maybe I want to see the goodness in the person across from me. And you have to physically... Feel it so that when you're out in the world, you will know to catch on when that's available to you. But if you're constantly physically feeling stressed because you wake up and you check your Instagram and what you don't have, that's what you're going to have all day. And I know that because that's been my battle. I'm currently going through it, right? And you kind of teach what you need to learn. And this is something I'm teaching myself at the moment because I'm propelled into an environment for all accounts is way less glamorous than what it was a year ago. I'm not doing as much meaningful stuff in the world. I've essentially put my life and my business on hold so I can get permanent residency in a country that I don't particularly love so that I can maybe get an acting career and I still don't even know how to speak in the American accent. So like my mind's primed for going, what are you doing, mate? So I have to really work on that and I really believe in the value of it. I prefer the Australian accent. What do you think, Carl? So do I, but Netflix seems to like the American. Netflix doesn't like Aussies, eh? Well, the it's like me going for, what is it, Supergirl and like all those shows now. And how can I justify having an Australian accent? Like, you don't fit in. So mm. I might as well just flip the accent. That, uh, I can't remember that actor's name. African-American, no, he's a black guy from England, I think. Yeah, he's literally in every Netflix show of all time. I like just he's watched- in so many. Literally before you guys came here, I was watching his accents. I was just watching him on the wire and a couple of things. He's incredible with his accents. Is he? Yeah. Okay. Anything that I've watched him in is, is like an English accent. Really? No. He was in a movie where he no. played, I can't remember, he played a right. pretty well, important political you. man. And the wire. He was the, like the main ring. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, you should. It's pretty good. Yeah, his accents are incredible. I was just watching right in, or I watched, he was a DJ. Anyway, I don't know. I watched a couple episodes of it, and he was English. <laughs> no, <laughs> if you hear his accent, he's, he's incredible. Huh. That's what um, The Wire gave him his, I think, big break. Yeah. You would mm. never know his English in it. I'll go home and watch Point The Wire. Point proven. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm okay. I'm okay being wrong. I'll yeah. admit that I'm so wrong. So when I do a few years of my American accent, then I'll be able to go back to doing my Australian accent. Basically, once then once they like me enough as an American, I'm like, gotcha. Can I be cast as an Australian now? How's the American accent? Oh, questionable. You're not going to make me do it here. I'm pretty good at being vulnerable. I'm not doing it here because I've got <laughs> I've got issues around at the moment. I'm very disappointed in myself for being here for seven months and not nailing it. But to my credit, I've moved house six times, got a new job, went to Mexico for a month. Now I'll actually focus on the accent. It's pretty good, but I just don't. It's pretty good? Yeah, it's all right. All right. Don't break it out yet. Yeah. Oh. I want to hear a little bit more about your business. Okay. Because it's from the little information I gathered uh, looking at your website. It's pretty cool what you're yeah. up to. Thanks. And when did you start and like why did you start it? I started it on my 30th birthday. So not too long ago, almost two years ago now. Um, so I had an audience for I think my boxing is kind of what it was like my athlete stuff and whatever and mm. um for whatever reason I had an online audience predominantly on Instagram but on Instagram and Facebook um and basically when I was in Bali I stayed at this hotel for free purely because I have Instagram numbers and that did not make me feel very good at all I was like well this is great but that's not fair like I haven't earned this mm. And so it was actually on my 30th birthday, I had this information just download. I was on a boat from um, PP Island in Bali, um, sorry, Gili Islands in Bali um, to our boat trip. And I wrote the business plan. I knew the name Slice of the Pie because my nickname's Pie. Um, and it just all downloaded. And I realized um, I wanted to put a container around what I was doing with my Instagram and have a separate business so that um, – I never put anything up to feed my ego. I only created things that would help feed people's souls. And I knew that people were doing all this fake advertising. They were promoting peanut butter, but really they were just like putting their ass in the camera. Like I actually saw that made me sick one day. There was a girl in a G-string shaking her butt (laughs) and then she turned around, she held up peanut butter and that was an ad. And I was like, this is just disgusting. Like it, it hurt me. Like it really hurt my soul to know that, you know, anyway. That's how they were using their platform and that's so what they were much. doing with it. Joe Rogan was talking about that recently on his podcast with uh, someone that it's just like comical how many ass photos there are and ads going with the ass photos. Yeah, because it gets views, people are visually stimulated, yeah. but it's it's going to have a short shelf life. And so I was like, what do I do with this audience? I wasn't getting so much acting work. And so I'd just done Ninja Warrior and um, I was reality TV was becoming bigger in Australia. And I was feeling a little bit like creatively kind of um, blank in the acting and that was hurting me. So I decided to put energy into that and I, my theme was I'm basically looking around the world at places, activities and events that were having a positive impact on the world and I would talk about what they were doing behind the scenes based on the United Nations Sustainable Goals. So I would only stay and I would only promote companies and I would only go to adventures that were that any of the companies that participated in it were actively contributing to one of the 17 United Nations Sustainable Goals. Do you know the United Nations Sustainable Goals? You must say yeah. You don't, you don't. That's okay. Do you? <laughs> you don't. So it's like good health, um, life on land, um, gender equality, equal right. Like just seven, 16 okay. basically. Like if these companies are contributing to that, it's sustainable. And it's 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 really, really great, simple way um, that United Nations came up with six, seven, 16 goals and the 17th one is supporting the, um, the first 16 to give back to the world. So 
I decided to leave Australia and leave my job and focus all my energy on going to those places and I'll create campaigns whether they last a week, two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks in a particular country or in a particular um, theme. And I'd be sponsored by ethical companies or sustainable companies, which really financially was a very poor decision because I could have got paid a lot more by, you know, teaming with Heineken or Nike or whatever, but I don't drink. So I didn't, I couldn't do that. I was like, this is just, what do I stand for? And so I'd find um, companies that I really, really believed in to sponsor me. They would be, um, they would pay me for the campaign. And then I would travel and promote hotels activities and events that I really thought people would get a lot out of. And, you know, I did new ventures in New Zealand, um, which was just all the adrenaline sports. And I was sponsored by a great company, Descended Voden. And they basically, the more challenges I did, the more money they would give to charity. So I did bungee jumping and skydiving. And it was, it was exhausting, actually. It was my first trip. I changed everything I did after that. I was like, I'm never doing that much again. It was like two different hotel every two nights. And anyway, it was great, but exhausting. And then I I, um, worked in Cambodia um, and helped rebuild, uh, helped contribute to rebuilding a village and and worked an NGO. And then I went to India and taught the yogic philosophies. And so it was just a way that I could put a container on my audience. I didn't want to have it and just be me. I was like, let's do something with it. And so I created a side business knowing that I could actually take it in other directions down the track too. So have it as like almost an ethical trip advisor where I'd have influencers working under me and also have, um, you know, get a clipping off if people bought clothes from any of the brands that I truly supported. So that's a longer term goal. And again, that's all on hold until I can actually really refocus on it. Are you spending a lot of time finding these brands or are they finding you or how does um, that work? Well, it's, it's all kind of been on hold for the last seven months. Right. So at the time, it was a bit of both. Like people would find me first and that's what gave me the idea. I was like, this is incredible. And then I would reach out to them. Um, and by, it was just both. Both would happen and the more the word got out, the more people would contact me and, you know, people find you on Instagram and they see what mm-hmm. you're doing and people talk and um, the orphanage in Cambodia was actually a follower and I was in New Zealand and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I put a story on and I said, I just feel like I'm staying at all these beautiful, incredible eco resorts and I feel tainted. I remember why I started this and whilst it's great adventures, great companies, this is, and I was like, my idea, and this is my story was, I think I'm going to go to Cambodia and live on a dollar a day for seven days and see what happens. And I've got so many messages like, you'll lose a liver, don't do that. Like, do you know what you're getting into? <laughs> and then one of them was um, a follower. He's like, I've got another idea. I run an NGO. Do you want to come here? And so I went there. So it's all kind of just happened, you know. I just kept creating and there was a couple in Thailand and, yeah, India. I hope that gets back up and running soon. Yeah, so do I. I think it will. I've Are just you so living, going, getting a permanent residence, you have to have a full-time job? Yeah. So my issue why I can't focus so much on Slice of the Pie, because I just did a campaign in Mexico a few months ago, is the job that I'm working at, you only get two weeks vacation. And I have to get permanent residency. Otherwise, my whole move to Canada was pointless. So I'm literally... I mean, unless someone wants to marry me, that'd be nice. <laughs> um, just put another. You don't know what I look like, but um, you don't need to. I've got a good personality. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so you're really hard to find online too. Yeah, yeah so. you won't. You yeah. won't find me at all. I've got. I've got the only name that's Samantha Shakira Clark. People are like, is that a stage name? I was like, why would I choose that name as a stage name? That's my full birth name, Shakira. 
Especially after just listening to this last 30 minutes of conversation, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's just true. Just picking a celebrity and putting in your name. Yeah, you just type yeah. in Samantha. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was my. that is my business. I've got to make sure I don't talk about it in past tense, but it's I'm honoring the energy of, like, the acting and being in Canada now. And I think um, I'll probably create another campaign in a month or two when I'm a bit more settled and I feel inspired because I never want to create anything unless I'm inspired. If it comes from my head, it just it's, – it's selfish, right? It's what I can get or what I think works. When it comes from inspiration, I know it's meant – like the business downloaded. I never thought of that. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's crazy. The name, everything, the business plan, done. So I've got to trust. I'll wait till I feel ready, till I feel, not think. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, what is the, what's the acting scene like right now in Vancouver? Um, it's good. They're filming a lot. They're filming so much stuff. Um, a lot of the American productions are coming here. It's tricky for me because I'm new. And it's, is it difficult to build connections when you're new? Friendly? I mean, I'm very fortunate. I got a good agent okay. that I got, I think the day I, I was on, I was in an airport in India and I got the meeting, which was cool. So two days later, I kind of, that worked out quite well. Um, so it's not that hard because they're filming so much to do the basic stuff to get in the room. And because there's only X amount of casting directors, once you're in and you're doing a good job, it's just a matter of time, I imagine. But Mm. it's, um, for me, because I'm new, they don't know I'm Australian. They don't know that I've got 10 years worth of acting work in my reel in Australia because my agent doesn't show them that because they probably want to hire Canadians or they would second guess your accent. So they just see a picture. They go, who's this? Blonde hair, blue eyed. Yeah, we've got heaps of them. So you've got to trust the agent and whatever. So it's there's a lot being filmed, but like anything, and that's why I'm prioritizing permanent residency, you've just got to give it a few years. I can't be impatient because it's disrespectful of the industry. Fair enough. Mm. I'm curious on... Um Reality TV shows. Mm-hmm. You've been on a couple, Which ones right? In, well, I was on Ninja Warrior. Yeah. I got offered The Bachelor, and that was a sign for me. Yeah, <laughs> that was a sign for me to um, leave Australia. I was like, that's. It was really hard for me to turn that down, to be honest, because that's a really big show in Australia. That would have actually really helped solidify a slice of the pie because a lot of it's run online. Um, it would have like quadrupled my numbers on social media, which again is a big part of what funded Slice of the Pie. Um, so that was, it was a really, really, really hard decision to turn it down, but I just couldn't, I never wanted anyone to look back and think if I ever made anything meaningful of my life, you know, really meaningful, which I guess we all do, but I never wanted anyone to look back and go, well, she got that because of that. I just, it would have killed me because I didn't, I created my business before that. I had an acting career in Australia before that. I never wanted and that to taint anyone's or my my knowing that I kind of did it on my own but also like you just get tarnished a little bit if they think that's what gave you credit it's like well no I worked really hard for everything I created including you know did you ever look at it the other way though and say I looked at it a thousand ways trust why me why don't I you my objective is to do a lot of good in the world yeah this could catapult me to doing more good more quickly for sure but I'd already organized I'd already planned to leave Australia and I'd mm. already organized my New Zealand um, campaign and I had like sponsors ready and so I would have had to push everything back three months which was fine but then it was living with girls and a house for 12 weeks that was actually what that honestly <laughs> that was the thing that bothered me the most because really? I didn't drink and I know they try and fuel you with alcohol and just the tension and because I'm a, probably a little bit more conscious and evolved than I know some of the women would have been in there it would have caused me stress and I, I just didn't want to put myself through that but I the so I said no 
And then the executive producer called me back and said, can you please? Like I went through the whole thing. I had a story producer. They knew what dress I was going to wear. Like I was in the show. Um, and then I said no again. And then they made leniencies for me. They said, we can, you can check your emails twice a week because we know you've got your business to run, but we'll have someone watching over it. So like they really wanted me and it was so hard to say no. And then I was on the phone to my friend who's an actor in Canada and I said, what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. And then I had this vision. I was riddled with anxiety. Like this was a really hard decision to make because my friend Darren, he's like, you should be on the show because my nieces should look up to you and be a role model. I was like, but it doesn't, I could teach everyone about humanitarian causes. That's not what they're going to show. I'm not the main person in the show. The bachelor is they'll show whatever serves him. So, you know, it, it's, it's tricky what actually gets shown. And I'm very aware of that because I've worked in TV for a bit. But I had a phone call after I said no a couple of times. And I was very anxious. And I realized my whole life I've been climbing, 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 like wanting to do good, wanting to create. And I was exhausted. I was like, I just want a platform to rest on. That would have been a really beautiful platform and many, many reasons. And then I asked myself, a voice in my head was like, do you want to rest on this platform or do you want to see what would happen if you could keep climbing? And my decision was made. I just had this visual of like climbing stairs because my whole life, that's all I wanted to do is just rest so I could be financially comfortable and not have all, you know, all the stuff, the basic stuff that you want as a child that wasn't loved growing up. And I was like, I want to know what happens if I keep climbing. And that was my answer. And then I was just done after that. I just emailed them back. I was like, no, definitely not. That is such a great line. It's true though. It was very true. And you can just reword it to fit like your own specific life, right? Do you want to plateau here? Do you want to keep climbing? Do you want to whatever or keep climbing? And you know, a few years before that, that whilst The Bachelor might not seem like a beyond, that would have been a pretty good ending point for me. Well, because I probably would have got my job and home and away back because they love a good reality star. I would have been paid (laughs) one to $2,000 every time I put a picture up on Instagram. I would have been very financially comfortable. Um, I already was kind of like having a pretty good life in Australia. Everything would have potentially just been very, very easy. And to see what was once almost a pinnacle be like this little platform where I'm like, no, I've got more in me. I want to keep keep climbing. That was for me, my soul. I was like, would you listen to your soul or do you just listen to your head? And I've just, I've always got to listen to that, the other, always, because it's always served me. Can I ask you a few logistical questions about yes, shows it, like The Batcher? Yeah, go on. The How, Bachelor. The What's bachelor, that show? Is it a distant cousin of The Bachelor? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to apply? Like, yeah. did you apply? Yeah, so this or is a funny story. Or are they just picking, story. like, actresses? No, you do have to apply. Okay. I actually thought I was applying for The Bachelorette. Ah. I have wrong form. My client sent it to me. No, <laughs> this is the wrong form. And then I filled it all out, and it takes, like, three hours to fill it out. And they say, congratulations, you are applied for The Bachelor. I was like, oh, shit, I'm not doing that. Caught, got called, went in for it. I said, no, sorry. I actually thought I was applying for The Bachelor. And she's like, oh, it's the same producers. Anyway, the whole way I was like, I'm definitely not doing this. And then I ended up getting on it. But even to the producers, I was like, sorry. And they're like, yes, we know. You thought you were applying for The Bachelorette. So you do. You've got to go through a pretty reasonable process. Like I was, before I'd even got the confirmation email, I had my story producer, your own story producer. You know what dress you're wearing. You don't know who the guy is, but you know. You don't know who the guy is? No. No one knows. You're not allowed to see him till the night. He actually didn't pick really? anyone. Yeah. No, no, no. Why do all the girls come in and say, I'm so glad it was you. That's the only reason I came on the show. Maybe that was America. Uh, but I know no. in Australia, you're definitely like it was because that was part of the dialogue. I said, I'm giving up my business, my campaign for three months. Can I know who? And she's like, we can't. So no, you're definitely in Australia. You don't know. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah, but they, like I had to speak to a psychologist for quite a while. <laughs> not not because just me, like everyone. <laughs> but to, to make sure, obviously, we're all sane and that we're going to be okay, we had to go through so so much process. Because also, and this is why they're making reality TV. You don't get paid much, if anything at all. You kind of get paid a small token amount to justify the fact that they're robbing you for three months. Yeah. So this is why reality TV is so popular in Australia because they've cut a lot of funding with the arts. But anywhere in the world, you might be paying, especially some American actors, like $25,000 a day or a week, whereas you pay reality TV stars like $600 a month or a week. Like it's, it's insane. So it's very smart business and it's just very wonderfully um, coincidental that the audience love watching that because that's all they've been presented with. You know, it's very easy when people had a stressful day after 12 hours to just watch reality TV. Is the only purpose of going on it then for, I guess, men for The Bachelorette, women for The Bachelor, for exposure? Well, it depends on the person. Like, you can't answer that because the one before, they're actually um, you don't engaged. even know who it is. No, I mean, it depends on the girl. Like, yeah, I, but a gr- I, is a girl really going there to find love if they have no idea who the person is? Well, we can... Um, we can judge or assume, but you never know. Like yeah. um, mine would have been a business decision, but I actually, like I, I'd love to fall in love. And that's why I actually applied for The Bachelorette because my friend Darren said to me, true or not, he's like, if men were more patient, Sammy, they'd all fall in love with you. And I, was, and I said that in my interview. <laughs> I was like, if I'm stuck with someone for 12 weeks, they would, I think they would get me. Like I think they'd be all right with me. And so that was my thought for originally applying. It was like, when I thought I was applying for The Bachelor, it was like, I'll have 21 guys stuck with me for 12 weeks. One of them would have to love me. So my intentions were quite pure. But then when it flipped it, it became business. But I never knew I was applying for that. So you never know. Like, I know the girl last season, um, Maddie and whatever, her they're having a baby, they're engaged. Like, there's still quite a few of them. So even the producers, like, in Australia, I think it's different from America. They want you to... They want it to work because it works better for their show. Imagine right. if no one worked for six sure. years. They're not, no one's going to watch it. But if this is romantic. I don't romantic- think The Bachelor in America has a very good track record. No. There's like four out of 25 maybe. Yeah. It's pretty low. But I mean, four out of 25 is pretty good for 2019. You look at all relationships. Just saying. I guess so. Right? It's not. It's probably about normal. Yeah, but they're proposing at the end. Oh, yeah, right? they don't do that in Australia. Oh, really? No way. Most propose, right? Yeah, like 90% at least. No, they give it like a commitment ring, I think Maddie did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they all propose. You can't it's force insane. someone to know. See, this, this is why I str- Anyway, that's <laughs> my silence says it all. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. What, what about Ninja Warrior? Do you um, have to apply again to that? Yeah, if I wanted to go on. Okay. Yeah, I'd have more of a leeway in because obviously I was on the first season. Yeah, but I was training for a fight in Thailand and it was another similar thing. I had three emails from friends saying, you should come on. You should do this. They just sent me emails. I was in Thailand at the time. Like, this is you. Like, this is you are a little ninja. Like, this is you. And I was like, maybe, whatever. And then I remember walking down to the fight camp and I'd said it out loud to Woody, the head coach. I was like, I'm going to apply for Ninja Warrior. And I stopped and had this jolt of energy rush through me. And from that day, I stopped training for the fight and start training for grip training. And I knew I was going to get on the show. Knew it. There was just no doubt in my mind. It was so obvious. And I even did a couple of little things where 
I didn't send the video and it was too much hassle. <laughs> like, you had to edit it and do like, it was just, I'm not a technologically sound, but I hate technology. It stresses me out. I just like creating. And, you know, they emailed me and there's just so many things that really I should have been out. And anyway, I got on the show and I did it. I didn't win. I didn't even come close, but it was fun. My friend won the first season, which is nice. And all my, a lot of my friends are still doing it. Like a lot of great people that I met training for Ninja are still like competing internationally and they're on, yeah, doing very, very well. When did you get into fitness? Properly when I moved to Melbourne. So I left Perth at 16, turning 17 um, because of drug addiction and I just was not like I'd been homeless for years. I was thinking, which, it was just in a very toxic place and something in me intuitively was like, you're either going to stay here and die here or you need to get out. And so I moved to Melbourne with my accommodation fell through that day that I was moving. I had $300 in my pocket. I had just boxes in front of me. That was my whole life. And then I just had months to sort out what I was going to do. And by that time, my drug addiction was over, right? Like I had to survive. And so uh, whatever, a few months in or at some point, I remember I was to put on heaps of weight because I stopped taking drugs. And I was a young girl. I was like, well, this, I remember I liked being skinny. That was really nice. Maybe I'll join a gym because I'm not going to take drugs again. So I joined a gym and I was going, I didn't know how to get disciplined. I didn't know how to sort everything out. And so I was thinking about joining the army and the owner of the gym said, why don't you get a job here? And from that, I went from like receptionist and then I would like sneakily do sales on Sundays and I was really good at sales. So I became like sales manager and then PT and then it just grew from there. And then I just was always in it and then stopped for a bit to focus on acting and then went back to it when that kind of died down. So it just kind of happened. It was, it was to stop me taking drugs so I wouldn't get fat again. That was what it all, yeah, that was it. Yeah. So that was kind of the turning point. Well, the turning point was leaving Perth and not having access to it and it not being a smart option and just completely changing your environment and having to like, I think it was in backpackers for a while and then get a job. It was just, it just wasn't a priority. And then over time, I, um, yeah, just, yeah, fitness just became, I was a fraud, I felt, for a while. Like, I wasn't really into fitness, but I was a good trainer, but I didn't really, I remember watching the girls, like, go for a run on the break or running for more than five minutes on a treadmill. I was like, how do they do that? You know, <laughs> like, I could do weights, but, and then it just became, I think, honestly, unconsciously, it was a way for me when I really fell in love with it, because I was very good at boxing, very good at fighting. It was a way for me to tell me like no one would ever fuck with me again like I will never be raped or beaten or taken advantage of again I will never feel unsafe again and I think like I'm, I'm actually getting emotional about it now so there must be truth in that like I think that's really what it was and there was so much empowerment when I was training with like professional footy players and I beat them in CrossFit you know there was so much almost like rage and pain and anger that was channeled in such a beautiful way that allowed me to feel strong because I grew up not feeling strong. Uh, Yeah, I grew up with certainly weaknesses around what I was given and my support. I felt I was a bit of a bully at school in the earlier years before I left and I, I regret that, but it was, you know, I was manifesting what I needed to get out at the time. You know, I felt powerless, so feel powerful at school. Yeah. Have you, I've heard people that had those situations like reach back out to kids that they bullied. Have you ever done that? Um, no, because enough times passed. And I I think actually a couple of them kind of know where I'm at or what I'm doing, you know, just based on like my media presence in Australia or my online stuff. And there's, 
No, I haven't because I've never been that cr- – I was never like a bully to a particular person. I just – I – people knew my story, right? And I kind of – I was just an overall rebel. Like it wasn't one particular person that was mean to. I just wouldn't let anyone fuck with me. And I was – to be honest, like as a young kid, that was pretty powerful. Like I don't know how I manipulated that situation for a short period of time for those years. Um, and then I remember – trying to get back into school. I lied my way back into school in year 11 for like two months and I told them I completed my year 10 equivalency. Absolutely <laughs> didn't. I don't know how. It must have felt sorry for me. And then I was there for a couple of months. But at this point I was living with drug dealers and, you know, just really like a lot older crowd. And I remember someone coming up to me and he's like, Sammy, you've just come back to school. You're reading a book at lunch. Like it was just so foreign that I was just bully that just went away for a couple of years, come back. And I'm just like, but really I was just high as fuck, like trying to get through the day. Like, yeah. So um, I should mention that I don't drink or do drugs anymore, by the way, guys. So just heads up on that one. Not condoning it, just the truth of what happened. <laughs> yeah. It's a very powerful story. Thanks. I've even just got a lot of it. I like people that overcome adversity, that overcome adversity. I just think it's such a powerful way to push yourself forward. Yeah, I've actually liked speaking about it because you forget, you know, like when we spoke before, I was just talking about like my Vancouver shoes and my Mm -hmm. acting stuff, but it's, it's pretty incredible to look back and go, wow, that was me actually, because it was so long ago and you don't talk about it, you know, too often and. Um, it's funny, I, you'll probably see it in an Instagram post in the next couple of weeks. I wrote it. I only, I write like poems or whatever stuff that, and then when I find a picture that suits it and I put it up and I wrote about healing quickly and there's nothing that's more inspirational to me than witnessing somebody who has found a way to heal and chosen to do it quickly. And then I wrote a whole poem about it because it just blew me away. I was like, that's it. Like, I think someone asked me what's inspiring. I was like, when somebody finds that and then chooses to utilize it, that's incredible. Like, because I've probably healed slower than what I could have, you know, like I could have done it quicker. But I think that speaks so much to humans. And it's just so amazing to watch. Should we get going? No, we're good. I was just just next door. The, I think just like relating back to fitness, I've really gotten back into it in the last couple of years. And like I grew up playing sports, played university basketball, and then fell away from it for a few years while I got my real estate career going. Mm-hmm. But the last couple of years, it's just been like such a game changer for me. Yeah. And it's, it's a stress release, but it's also like, I call it my form of meditation. Nice. And you can say yes or no if no, that's a real. Is. Yeah. yeah. But for me, it's just like that one hour every single day that I'm not super concerned about the stresses of work or the stresses yeah. of the past relationship or whatever it is. And it's been super powerful for me, whether it's hiking or running or working out or whatever it is. That's for sure a form of meditation. Definitely. It's like a moving meditation because people can get addicted to like rock climbing or crazy adventure sports. And the reason why largely often is it's the one thing that forces them to be in the moment. If you're about to fall off a cliff, if you're about to get hit in the face, like you're not thinking about other stuff. The only downfall of that, if we're just going to like heighten it, is anything, if you're looking for external 
um, things to create an internal impact, you're going to eventually become addicted to it. So this is why people get crazier adrenaline rushes and do more and more and more. It's great that that's an option and to cultivate it internally is a way that it's going to be only satisfying because you've earned it and you're not relying on something else for it. So there's, I'm not shunning your moving meditation. I think it's excellent. And I would love to encourage you to find that through stillness as well and see how you blend the two together. I think my problem is I don't like sitting still. No, of course you don't. No one does. You don't, it's awful to be with yourself. That's not you. That's your ego. I don't mind being with myself. What, what's the difference? I just feel like I could be doing more with my time than sitting on a floor. I think you're going to, which is what we're doing now. I think you're going to, if you listen back to this podcast or, or rewind 60 seconds, I think you'll find you just contradicted yourself. If you can't sit with yourself because you feel like there's more you could be doing, you're not sitting with yourself. You're thinking about what you can be doing, which means you're moving away from the present moment, always propelling into the future. Maybe you're right. Can you, okay, you mentioned earlier that you read a book on meditation Um, or you're reading one right now. I'm reading, oh, I'm reading a book um, by Dr. Joe Dispenza called Becoming Supernatural, but over the years I've read many, but this is the one I'm reading at the moment, which I think is really helpful for people like yourself who are quite cerebral, who, um, unless I'm getting that wrong, but I think. Define cerebral. Well, use your brain. (laughs) Not right now. Well, just um, more a thinker than a feeler. Like you, you, you seem to use your brain for a lot of stuff, right? I guess so. I would say I feel a lot of things. Okay. And like so in let's personal say for relationships, I okay. like I talk about. I like talking about it a lot. So I'm going to push back on this sure. because this is something that my therapist said to me years ago. I I was very good and still am very good about talking about my feelings. I can analyze them. This is my sadness because of this. This is my feeling. And she said something to me and I hated her for telling me it. I was like, now I know this. I can never unknow it. By dialoguing about it and by analyzing it, you're actually being stepping away from it and observing it. So the moment you're talking about your feelings, you're not actually sitting with them. You're back into the analysis of it, which means you're actually in your head. I do that. Yes. That's all I do, I think. Yes. So, so maybe quite cerebral then. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's it's a tricky dichotomy. Like it's hard to tell the difference between that. You'd be like, "Whoa, I'm talking about my sadness. I'm owning it. I'm communicating. I'm, and all of that's true. And it's slightly different, but very importantly different to just sitting with it. And that's the thing that's unbearable. I remember my therapist said to me years ago, I was, couldn't sit with my loneliness. I couldn't sit with it. And she was like, you know, you can just sit with it. And I was like, I don't understand what you mean. My brain couldn't conceptualize the fact that I could sit down and just feel lonely. I was like, I don't, I, I honestly, her name's Deb. I was like, I honestly don't know what you mean. My brain just completely shut down because I would always be on YouTube or Tinder or something to take me away from my loneliness. But until I could sit with it and realize I can put a container on it, it can last for a minute or two minutes and then I could, it stops and I can move away from it, I never would have addressed it. I never would have even been able to fully embrace the fact that I felt lonely. I would have always analyzed it and told everyone my narrative around it and my story and my this and my that. So the, there is a really important difference between being able to dialogue around it and articulate it and sit in it. 
And and back to the book, Dr. Joe Dispenza, he just talks when I say cerebral people, I mean, people who like logic, they want to understand why meditation is important, what is going on about visualization and why is this new age nonsense ever going to be valuable to me? He actually, me for sure. yeah. It, and it brings a lot of science into it. He's a doctor, right? And he's got a team of scientists under him and it talks about heart coherence and the brain waves and talks about alpha and beta and all this stuff that's really nourishing for the brain that you go, got it. I can actually, I can fuck with this. Like, I'll can keep reading. <laughs> can you share some of that stuff? Um, I mean, he could probably do it better. But um, for example, one of them, and like, I'm going to be loosely paraphrasing because this is new information from my brain. Yep. He talks about, say, the power of gratitude and meditation. We hear about it all and all again, this power of kind of being um, grateful. But what it actually does, and I actually spoke about it earlier, it raises your awareness so you're open to seeing those things. So let's say for advertising is subconscious programming. You watch an ad about herpes, I don't know, or whatever it is, and somewhere in us we see it again and again and again. We consciously don't think of it, but in us we're riddled with fear because it's surpassed our conscious. We're not observing it anymore. It's in our subconscious, and we mostly are driven by subconscious programming that's still getting programmed, but most of it's when we're children. And so it talks about finding a way to create new subconscious programming to at least break space between all that crap. And a very beautiful way to do it is to sit in meditation to raise the vibration of your emotions to purposely bring love and gratitude and all this stuff into your body so you can physically feel that body so that you're those stuff in your body so that when that future possibility comes that exists absolutely infinitely in the quantum field, you're actually able to witness it and go, that's the way I'm going to move. But until you can do that, we're, as I said, addicted to our past emotions and we're constantly under stress. We're constantly being driven by a subconscious programming from the past. And so we're never going to make that change. We're going to have this idea to be an actor, but never actually move to Canada. We're going to have moved to Canada, but you don't believe in yourself. So you're not going to work on your accent which is me at the moment, right? And so I'm so driven by my subconscious programming that I'm not enough. So the moment you start meditating or creating just a different possibility in your body where you feel all those things you think you're going to feel when you get X, Y, and Z, you start drawing that future to you on a very scientific level. And I can't explain the science because that's not my jam, but my brain was very much appeased. And whilst I'm a feeler and I'm, you know, into all what people call esoteric stuff, my brain does need to be appeased. And for me to go, yep, that makes sense. I logically am comfortable with that. That's a pretty big win. And it's a bestseller who's doing amazing stuff. So, yeah, that's the long and short of it. Do you meditate often? Um, I'm starting to now because I found that I was in a bit of a rut and that I was getting very pulled to the day-to-day stuff. And my external reality was becoming way more important than what was going on inside me. And it was affecting my mood, which was then affecting what I was creating, my external reality. So now that I've started meditating, and I mean like in the last week or two, the change is incredible. And the stuff you realize, like one thing I realized, it was kind of daunting. (laughs) I'm so projected into my future. I really am. Like, this is what I want to achieve. This is what I want to achieve. I want to do this, that, that, that. I'm never okay where I'm at because I always want to do more, be more, give more, all these potentially altruistic things, but they're really just tearing me away from being okay where I'm at and enjoying what's right here, right now. That. Who does that sound like? Everybody, basically (laughs) almost everybody. But because of that, there will come a day and let's say 80 years old where my future 
will be very short and all I'll have is the past. And I will look back on those 80 years and go, holy fuck, I wasted my whole day away thinking my future was the best part. And now I've probably got 10 years left. And I now know that my past was the best part and I've wished every moment away. But now I realize that every moment is the only moment. And I'm terrified that that's going to happen to me because it very likely could because I've witnessed it happen. No matter what I've achieved, no matter, I remember being in the Fairmont, India, probably one of the two best hotels I've ever been at. Got paid to be there, didn't pay anything, ate for, and I was sobbing in the steam room because I was under so much stress, so much what I wanted to do. I didn't know anyone I was moving to Canada. Like those moments were gone because of pressure. How do you balance the two of those things though? Do you know anyone that does it well? The two the of two what of things? Like, Staying super motivated, having big aspirations and chasing them versus like feeling the moment and staying present in today. I think they will balance themselves out. I think I truly do believe that if you're able to stay present, it's not going to diminish your motivation. It's going to sustain it and your Mm. motivation will be pure and it won't be driven from fear. It'll be driven from excitement. And so you're not going to be in survival mode. You'll be in creation and it will invigorate you. It will fill you up and you're just going to move and move and move and have more energy. I'm sure you've had podcast chats where you're like, I could have four more hours of that, you know, and because that's that. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's it. That's when you're in creation. This is one of them, Thank you. I hope that was actually what I was looking for. <laughs> I just wanted to do that self-validation. Um, but when you're present with another human, that's a really good example. So we just take away the other human and you're present in the moment with yourself. But when you and I are having this really in-depth chat, I'm not thinking about, I mean, part of me is like, is my housemate coming home? But besides that, I'm so present with you that I'm excited, I'm energized. The future doesn't matter because it's you and me. That's not going to drain you. That's going to only sustain you. It's not going to take away your motivation. It's going to leave you at night. I'm probably going to send a few more emails and maybe you're going to think of someone else to interview for your podcast. The only moment is now. It's truly, and you hear it again and again, but when you start to meditate, you realize how true it is and you realize all those cliche sayings and you're like, fuck it. We are wasting a life. We are wasting every moment, wishing it for it to be different, but it's not. It's not different. And you can't resist the moment without breeding negativity. You can't. And you can't have negativity unless you're resisting what is in some way. So the moment you just accept, it doesn't mean you want it to continue in the future. It doesn't mean you, you know, want someone to keep treating you. But the moment you accept this is absolutely the way it is now and you find peace in it, we will launch. And that's why I've started meditating again. I think that was my favorite thing you said right there. Thanks. Which bit? whole thing <laughs> like i almost want carl to stop taping right now so that we can just play it back uh no we that just was... record the note carl so i can re- you just write that time down yeah. just wrote sammy did very well there <laughs> <laughs> but and the reason why i imagine I'm... that was really great for you to hear is because it wasn't coming from my head i was impassioned by it the mm. words just flew out i wasn't worrying what others think i just felt impassioned and that's creative energy as opposed to i think thinking. just what you said about the podcast is And I learn something new every single time I do one of these. And you said like being in the moment. And I think that's why I love these things so much is because it's like such, it's crazy to walk into someone's home and be like super connected right Mm. away and have these in-depth conversations with people that you've never met before. Yeah. It's something crazy that this mic does, but like, it's so different than meeting someone for coffee or going to a bar and chatting with someone at a bar or something like that. Yeah. It's super strange. 
It's almost like a, a safety wall for you so you can truly connect. And there's a reason to truly connect. Yeah. It's like, well, we know we're doing this. We know we're opening up now. We know we're going to go deep. And it's like this unspoken thing. And so that we can get out of our heads and we can drop our walls and we can be fully present. And that's where you feel alive and you feel that rush of energy. And it's really we've just opened our hearts and dropped our heads for a bit. It's that simple. We've just got a platform to do it. Like the the reason for the podcast, like the reason I started the podcast was to share experience in order to help people yeah and so it, yeah i'm blown completely blown away in terms of how willing people are to share their stories too yeah and i think yours is a really powerful one that a lot of people are going to get i hope so a lot of value from i really hope so i truly do thank you so much for meeting this is yeah. fantastic you're so welcome i know your uh roommate's coming home he's, yeah he's all right <laughs> text myself just text me before you come back that's okay we'll uh wrap up Okay. <laughs> Where can uh, people find out more about your business and your story um, online? So my website for my business is www.sliceofthepie.co, not .com, .co. And um, my personal webpage is samanthashakiraclark.com. And my Instagram is samanthashakiraclark.com. My Facebook is samanthashakiraclarkofficial.com. <laughs> so it's all just my name. And then there's also sliceofthepie.co. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for saying yes and uh, meeting up. Happy, happy to. I should also say that I do heart-to-heart mentoring too. So if anyone is interested in dialoguing around that stuff, part of my job was, or one of my business things, was to help people connect into their heart and get rid of this kind of like notion that it's esoteric, but really allow people to connect into their inner child and how it can affect them in a rational way for people who are a bit like, I don't want to just sit and meditate. We dialogue. You can bring your brain in, but it also allows you to connect into your whole physical body so we're not excluding any part of you. So little plug on that was that directed at me no but if you felt like it was that's that's your projections i'm willing to help you (laughs) okay good night guys thanks for listening okay bye